0: Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Eyes on Earth, a podcast produced at the USGS Eros Center, which celebrates its 50th anniversary this year. Our podcast focuses on our ever-changing planet and on the people at Eros and around the globe who use remote sensing to monitor the health of Earth. My name is Jane Lawson, and I'll be hosting today's episode where we're peering ahead into the future at Eros while marking a half century of achievements. Many exciting developments lie ahead. For example, Landsat Next, the planned successor to the Landsat 9 satellite, promises to extend the 51-year-old program's continuity and the archive at Eros into at least the 2030s with innovative improvements. In the shorter term, the next generation of land cover and land use projects at Eros is on the horizon. Our guest today is Dr. Pete Doucette, who was named the Director of Eros this past March. Pete moved here in 2019 from the USGS in Reston, Virginia, to fill the role of Integrated Science and Applications Branch Chief at EROS, and in 2021, he was named Acting Center Director. Pete's background in applied science and land imaging suited him well for the move to EROS, where he looks ahead by embracing concepts like the merging of science and technology with artificial intelligence and machine learning. Welcome, Pete, to Eyes on Earth. Thank you, Jane. First, let's reflect for a moment about the past 50 years for Eros. What did you think of as the legacy of Eros when you came here and added to the center's history?
1: Well, I guess Landsat would be the obvious first answer, but I think it's it's much more than that. And so the, the real legacy of Eros to me has been uh, the advancing of the state of the art of land remote sensing, right? From a, uh, from a civilian use perspective, especially in applications related to, uh, to land change science, which it helped create. I think we put that uh, science on the map, in a manner of speaking. So I think Landsat did a great job of laying the foundation for that, uh, that broader enterprise of remote sensing, which is uh, what uh, making the, uh, the availability of space-borne multispectral imagery Uh, data a reality for civilian use. So In in so doing, we went from being essentially a a data repository for Landsat going back to the the early 70s to today uh, an end-to-end remote sensing center where we operate the satellites, manage the data, and exploit the data by making uh, derived products for the community. And that, to me, is the real legacy of EROS.
0: We added science to the formula.
1: Adding remote sensing and land change science.
0: Can you name any moments in Eros's past that you wish you would have witnessed?
1: So that's that's an interesting question, and, and as you stated up front, I've only been here for a few years, and there's all kinds of history uh, uh, that I've I've heard of, uh, a lot of interesting history, uh, but I, I would have to say uh, probably the uh, the changing of the data policy to a free and open data policy, because uh, to me that that was uh, significant. I mean, it was kind of a second, the second revolution of Eros, if you will, to help put Eros on the map by making the data free, available free and open to the public. Because it opened up a, a new marketplace for remote sensing and it set the, uh, the standard and a precedent for some other federal providers for remote sensing data. And uh, so at that time, the views were, were very passionate on both sides before we actually committed to that decision. And uh, a lot of pros and cons were were discussed, and and uh, folks were were quite energetic about you know their views. So I think it would have been interesting to be part of that debate because I I tend to to I mean there's an entertainment factor and there's a learning factor uh, when folks are that passionate about about their views, and I I, I kind of feel that that's my personality as well. I tend to be passionate when I, when I feel strongly about something. So it would have been it would have been interesting being part of that, that debate.
0: What did you anticipate for eros and your role when you arrived in 2019?
1: I believed at the time, and I think it's probably still true, that I was brought in to uh, maybe shake things up a little bit, both from uh, in terms of the culture and maybe transitioning to newer technologies. And by those, I mean, you know, largely the cloud, commercial cloud and uh, and artificial intelligence in, in that order. And so there was maybe some reassessing of risk that needed to occur. And, of course, there's always risk with, with changing direction. And uh, you always have to compare something with something else. So there's risk in changing direction, just as there's risk with staying with the status quo. Uh, perspectives will vary, and I've witnessed just how much they can vary on what is considered too much risk. So that's where um, you know, applying some kind of judgment uh, is needed, and making, making those judgments with confidence makes all the difference to, uh, to getting folks on board with a with new direction. So I think my main role now, being the director of the center, uh, you know, there's there's the management function, which you know everybody's familiar with what, what that is in large part. But then the leadership part, I think, can be boiled down to a, a simple idea, which is to to foresee the inevitable, and then to accelerate its adoption in in the workforce or in the workplace. And and that's taken from a quote that that goes back to the uh, to the 18th century. Uh, but uh, I mean it sounds sounds uh, nice to be able to foresee the inevitable but that's what I thought at least for the last 5 to 10 years I, I thought that moving to the cloud was inevitable and uh, I didn't have any special clairvoyance you know as to why I thought that it it was largely just based on on having good external awareness and so uh, I I guess kind of coming in from the outside even though I wasn't coming in completely from the outside I I started my career at USGS with the National Land Imaging Program in Reston. And so I certainly understood, uh, had a reasonable understanding of how Eros worked. So walking in with that information and having some external awareness of kind of where things were headed, I thought that cloud was was it inevitable. And there were some, some concerns early on, and I expected that. But I think we're making nice progress in, in the direction of, of cloud, and I think AI is the next big Technology front, if you will, that we're starting to to get into.
0: Do you want to elaborate just where we are with the cloud um, adoption
1: here? So all of the uh, the Landsat archive has been migrated to cloud, and we have been ho- as as one example. Another example is we've been hosting uh, data for for NASA for a number of years through the DAC. And uh, much of that, NASA's made the decision to, to move, uh, all, they actually have 12 DACs that they, that they fund across the country, and our LP DAC, the Land Processes DAC, is the one that, that we, we service for them. Um, so NASA's made the decision to migrate all of 12 DACs to the cloud, and so that includes the LP DAC, and a big chunk of it has already migrated. And I would expect the the land processes stack to have completed that process probably in the next couple of years. So those are two very uh, high-profile examples of, I think, the progress we've made going to cloud.
0: How have your expectations changed, and what transformations at AeroS do you anticipate in the future?
1: So my expectations uh, have not changed in terms of uh, transitioning to new technologies. And as I said earlier, I think we're making some nice progress in that direction. However, in regards to uh, changes with culture, so one of the realities that has really set in just the last couple of years is the challenges we're going to have from a recruitment and retention perspective and the, uh, the realities of, of the HR process. So, so those are going to uh, cause us to be much more creative as to how we retain and recruit the next generation, uh, which is a, which is a key part of, of always keeping your your culture on the cutting edge, especially when it comes to technology. And uh, you know, there are a variety of ways that have been discussed as to how we might do that. You know, allowing more uh, remote work, kind of, for example. But uh, so that that expectation has, has probably changed just in the last few years, just recognizing how challenging it's
0: going to be. What excites you most when you think about the future of Eros?
1: What excites me most is in regards to the new technologies. And um, so it's difficult to, to attend just about any conference these days without AI being discussed, you know, in some form or fashion. And I, I studied... Neural networks, which is kind of the foundation of AI these days through deep learning. Uh, I studied neural nets back in the 90s. And uh, neural networks have kind of gone through some highs and lows over the last 50 years. And uh, after I finished some graduate study in the, the late 90s that was based on neural networks, I was advised I should probably get into a different area because they were just not in, in, they were not being favored at that time. Funding was being pulled because they just hadn't demonstrated their utility. And so I think it was believed it was a, it was a bit of a, uh, I wouldn't say pseudoscience, but certainly not demonstrated science. And so that, that's what I did, I went into other areas. Only to see around uh, 2010, a resurgence in neural nets that became deep learning and is now the new AI. Right. So I kind of feel like I got cheated out of my chance to actually practice that <laughs> the way I see it being done today. And so I, I have no doubt that uh, within the next decade here, uh, I think a large part of what we do is going to start taking advantage of AI methods. And uh, it'll, it'll be fun to see it from you know, the, the level of the director. But it would have been nice to have my, my hands in the middle of that, you know, as a, as a researcher. But uh, so, so I envy those who have that opportunity.
0: So you were a researcher ahead of your time. <laughs> I was.
1: I, well, I, I mean, I, again, it's it's easy to say that I, I foresaw the inevitable, but I really didn't because it wasn't clear back in the 90s that AI was going to take off the way it did.
0: What key point would you like the public to understand about arrows?
1: Uh How about understanding what we actually do? I think, it, and that's often misunderstood, or at least we can maybe do a better job of trying to explain it. it it's complicated what what we do. But uh, if we can do it at a more fundamental level, which is essentially to monitor and understand the the planet's changing landscape, right? I mean, there's a lot that goes into saying that. So one way to think about it is uh, look at how we manage and monitor our own personalized uh, landscapes, for example, our our own property. Some of us invest a lot of money in uh, monitoring and watering and fertilizing, for example, a lawn, because it's important to us. It, it's our personalized uh, natural resource, if you will. And So that, that is kind of what we're doing uh, from a remote sensing perspective on a, on a global scale. And so um, it's important that we, we understand how the landscape on a global scale is changing because ultimately it affects how you know we're going to live our lives and, and protect what's important to us. Uh, in our lifetimes, remote sensing has revealed a world shaped by forces uh, that are way more dynamic and intertwined than we ever could have imagined before observing it from space. And so we're able to do this largely these days because of being able to see uh, the invisible in a manner of speaking right different parts of the electromagnetic spectrum beyond the visible for example the the infrared and the thermal and we're able to observe those kinds of, of phenomena as they as they uh, or phenomena as they reflect in those parts of the EM spectrum across broader or longer periods of time years to decades so we're able to observe how these changes manifest we weren't able to do that 50 years ago and so uh, that's become of vital importance as to how we are managing the health of the planet.
0: Do you have a message for Eros staff as we mark this half-century anniversary?
1: Yeah, I'd say that, uh, uh, so so. Landsat is, is obviously tied to, you know, the success of Aeros, and it really uh, defines us, and we just celebrated Landsat's 50th last year. Uh, and I, I made a, uh, a comment at, at one of the speeches last year that I thought Landsat was was really a great, uh, it's more than just a 50-year story, it's a great American story. You know, I, I like to compare it with another great American story, which is the Lewis and Clark Expedition, where the American West was was discovered, you know, on behalf of the early settlers at that time. Of course, uh, you know, there were inhabitants in the West at that time, but Uh, So what Lewis and Clark did for the early American settlers in discovering the West is what what Landsat did, I think, uh, for for the planet in its its, uh, early days, and that's not not overstating it. Uh, And it's it's more than an American story. It's a story that's that's gone global. So it's a story that's worth telling and one that we should should take a lot of pride in and, and kind of bask in the moment
0: after 50 years. I think we've earned it. Any closing thoughts about what Eros has to look forward to in the next 50 years?
1: The next 50 years is what I often prefer to talk about, or at least the next decade. Uh, so keep the fire burning. We all know that change is inevitable. And, uh, it, what, you know, whether we we uh, welcome it or not, we, we all know we have to adapt to it. But being more adaptable to change, and it's probably going to we, – we've witnessed a, a ton of change over the last 50 years – but I would speculate that it's probably going to be even more rapid as we as we go into the cloud and start uh, you know, understanding how to use AI better. So I think the more uh, of, a, of an adaptability a mindset that we have, hopefully, the easier it should be to adapt to the change. It, it's never easy, and it, it involves the risks I talked about earlier. But uh, it, it's always easy to say to, to to try to be adaptable to change. Um, but uh, I think we'll be better off for it.
0: Thank you, Pete, for joining us for this episode of Eyes on Earth, where we caught a glimpse into the future of Eros.
1: Well, thank you very much, Jane, and I appreciate the opportunity to share some of these remarks with the workforce.
0: And thank you to the listeners. Check out our Eros Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages to watch for our newest episodes, and you can also subscribe to us on Apple and Google Podcasts. This podcast, this podcast, this podcast, this podcast, this podcast
1: podcast, is a product of the U.S. Geological Survey Department of Interior.